Now, today we're taking a break from the book of John. It's been a great study, and I had the advantage of being in first service, and there's a real treat in store for us during this, during this sermon that we're about to hear. So if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 113, and Caitlin's going to go up and, and share the word with us. Thank you, guys. Love you, and God bless. Good morning. This is God's word from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? It's good? Uh, It's good to see you. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't yet met, glad to have you join us to worship today. And uh, as Pastor Doug said a moment ago, we are starting our new Summer in the Psalms uh, sermon series. I asked the elder team if it could be Summer in the Psalms, and they said no. And I am very sad about that, but just know every time I say it, that's what I'm thinking, okay? Uh, We, people, a couple people had asked me, are we going to go through like the entire book of Psalms? Um, There are 150 Psalms. We're going to do this for eight weeks. You do the math. Yes. We're going to do like 19 Psalms a week. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. We're going to be just doing kind of some selections from the Psalms. It'll give us an opportunity to look at some various themes, some various ideas that come from this uh, really important collection of Hebrew poetry And it's going to give us a few opportunities to welcome in some guest preachers to kind of preach on their favorite psalms. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this. And and I'll explain more in just a moment. But uh, I think this study, this time, this series uh, will stretch and grow us as a church in a couple of really good and necessary ways. So before we do anything else, I want to pray. I'd like to invite you just to join with me in prayer if you would. God, we, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that your, your word, the scriptures, are as multifaceted and surprising as you are. God, that you are an amazing God, um, and just about the time where we think we've got you figured out, you surprise us. And God, you are uh, very multifaceted, and, and God, your word is multifaceted. There's stories, and there's teaching, and there's wisdom, and there's poetry, and art, and song. And so God, as we turn our attention for these next eight weeks to looking at the Psalms, I pray, God, that you would grow us and you'd stretch us uh, as a church family to be able to connect with you uh, in worship and in prayer in some new ways. God, for myself, as I always pray, I ask that you'd help guard my lips. I only want to teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, for all of us who are here today, would you, would you soften our hearts and help us to connect with you in some just new and, and, and even powerful and profound ways, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. If I had to summarize kind of this first look at Psalm 113 in a word, it would be in the word transcendent. And we use that word in a variety of different ways. Obviously, we use it to talk about God, 
But sometimes we talk about certain experiences that we've had. Like, I had a transcendent experience. Do you guys ever use that word? It's a big word. You only got to pull it out carefully. But thinking about certain transcendent experiences, I remember, um, I remember a few years ago, we took a family trip to... Uh, Hawaii, my parents, my siblings, my kids, all of my nieces and nephews, we were all together in Hawaii, and we went snorkeling. Now, you got to know, I grew up in Alaska. You don't go in the ocean in Alaska. It takes too long to chip away the ice and all that, but it, it was this opportunity to get in the ocean, and I just remember we got in there, and I'm snorkeling, and I've got my second oldest daughter with me, and we're just surrounded by just a sea full of tropical fish, and there were turtles, and rays, and I just, I remember like just kind of getting goosebumps, just having this experience, like this is incredible that God thought up fish and made them all beautiful and multicolored and they could all, they could all look ugly like a, you know, like a, I don't, I don't even, I'm not going to insult fish because that's dumb, but like there's just all these amazing fish. It's this transcendent experience. I remember going to a pastor's retreat, and it was supposed to be pastors and wives, but my wife couldn't come, so I was grouchy. And, uh, and I ended up bunking with another pastor whose his wife couldn't come either, uh, my friend Big Ryan, the Australian from Foundation Church up in Everett, and we're bunking together, and we're both grouchy, and we're like, let's go find, let's go find, we're men at this pastors and wives retreat, like, let's go find a good steak. And we found this place, and I'm not, I'm not joking. It was like we stumbled into heaven. It was a butcher shop with like floor-to-ceiling coolers of just like steak. And then there was this like little secret speakeasy door, and you went through, and they would take the steaks from the butcher shop, and they would cook them there for you. Are you guys familiar with Wagyu beef? It's where like cows live like Jay-Z and they have like this lavish lifestyle and they like they get massages and then like and Ryan and I are sitting there eating the steak and it was like, no, don't even talk. I can't like we're just this transcendent experience, right? I remember going to a concert one time and it was, I didn't even really care about the band that much, but they had this pretty incredible like light show, like laser lights. And I just remember like this experience of kind of being almost like pulled out of my body just at this concert, like live music has a way of doing that. At least for me, it does. I'm sharing these experiences with you because I'm, I'm hopefully for you eliciting similar moments, times in your life where you felt like you were connected to something transcendent. But it's not just regular kind of life experiences. There have been times in my life where I've connected with God in that way. In a really profound way, I remember one time, my wife and I, we went to a, it was a, it was a Christian music festival, I guess you'd call it, and it was at the Gorge, which if you've never been out to the Gorge in central Washington, that play, you don't talk about transcendence. But the evening closed out with, and I think it was, I think it was a Christian artist, uh, Michael W. Smith, and he closed out, and he actually was leading a time of worship. It wasn't just a performance, it was a time of worship. And that song we sang a minute ago, the um, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And I just remember they like pulled back the musicians, pulled back off the microphone. There's probably 10, 12,000 people there in the lower bowl of the gorge, hands raised, singing, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. I'm getting goosebumps even just talking about it right now because I just had this profound sense, like, man, this is a picture of what heaven's going to be like. 
When the book of Revelation talks about there's going to be a, a great multitude that no one can count or number from every nation and tribe and, and, and language under the sun, all lifting their voices and praising and worshiping God. It was like this tiny little minuscule glimpse of what the eternal kingdom of God is going to look like. And I just, I was just lost in worship with 10, 12,000 people who I, had, I don't, I knew one, my wife, but there we were. I, I remember that was a big crowd, but I also remember a time when it was just my wife and I in the living room. This was pretty early in our marriage, and I had sinned against her in some really selfish and really hurtful ways. And it had come to the light, and I, I it was genuinely repentant. God was breaking me of my sin. I, I brought this to her. I informed her of it, and it was incredibly devastating to her, and I was expecting an angry response, which, quite frankly, is what I deserved. I deserved anger. I deserved wrath. I deserved all manner of consequences, and instead, she moved toward me with words of grace and love and mercy and I am not exaggerating when I said I was laid out on the floor weeping for 15, 20 minutes, just unable to comprehend the grace of God that I just experienced through mercy that my wife had shown me after I'd been incredibly selfish and hurtful to her. One of the most transcendent experiences of my life. We serve a transcendent God. The, the, the idea of God as we understand him, the way that he presents himself is that he's not like us. I mean, we're like him. We're made in his image and likeness, amen, but he's, he's bigger than us. He's holy. He is powerful. We sing words like we did a minute ago, like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But friends, if we really actually got a glimpse of what God's holiness was truly like, we would be laid out on our faces. Amen? You read about that like in the, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has this vision. He sees the Lord, like really sees the Lord, like how he truly is. And the words that come out of his mouth are, woe is me, I am undone. That's our God. That's our God. And that's the God that the Psalms invite us to connect with. The Psalms invite us to connect with our transcendent God. The Psalms invite us into a world that isn't just propositional truth and propositional theology, but invites us into an experience, a relational experience with our transcendent God. Now, friends, listen to me. I love propositional truth, doctrine, theology. Can a, can a preacher get an amen from anybody, right? Like, but listen, when we, let me just say this. Our church, and I love you, and I love me, okay, but we tend more towards the heady side of things. You remember last fall when we did the spiritual gifts sermon series? We had a test. Like 120 different people did the spiritual gifts inventory. And man, our church community pegged the meter on gifts of administration. Nerds for Jesus, just everywhere, okay? Like, yeah, <laughs> Like, 
that's kind of who we are. That's kind of how we, we trend. And there is literally nothing wrong with that. We as disciples of Jesus are instructed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I also see ways in which our church is pretty good at worshiping the Lord with our hands. There are so many of you that are involved in so many things, whether that's coming early to help set up and, and make the worship services happening, serving in our children's ministry. You, you guys, some of you are out serving the poor and volunteering and doing foster care. There's a, a community group in, that's, that's serving an entire uh, a low-income uh, apartment complex this weekend, doing a barbecue with them and like just praying for it's It's amazing what you guys, I think we're, I think we're growing and getting healthier about worshiping the Lord with our hands. If I could say as, as one of your pastors, an area where our church could really grow, it's in the heart and connection of worshiping God in that experiential sort of way. And I know that these eight weeks in the Psalms are going to stretch some of you. And we're going to adjust things in our worship services just a little bit. I'm going to encourage you to try things that isn't just, like we joke sometimes, like the loudest amens that I get during the sermons is the clicking of pens as you guys write your notes in your journals. Like, again, I'm not trying to throw rocks or I'm trying to lovingly tease you. But there's an area I think that God wants us to grow in. Charles Spurgeon says this about the Psalms. And by the way, after the first sermon, someone gave me a Charles Spurgeon bobblehead doll. And I have never felt so loved as a pastor in my entire life. I try not to quote Charles Spurgeon every week, but I... Look at this, glory, it's amazing. So I'm just going to leave him out there while I read this quote. This is what Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher from the late 1800s said, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit, and listen to this, ever-growing pleasure. Common gratitude constrains me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit with the prayer that it may induce them to search further for themselves. Spurgeon's basically saying, Psalms have been just one of the greatest joys of my entire life. Common decency means I gotta tell people about it. And I, I feel similarly so. All right, thanks, Bridget. That's good. <clears throat> I'm putting that on my desk. Every week in sermon prep, like, I want to be half the preacher that Spurgeon was. Let's do this. Let's talk real quickly. What are the Psalms? So that we can understand what we're talking about here. The Psalms are a few things. The first things that the Psalms are, Psalms are songs and prayers of praise. Okay? So, so when we say the word Psalm, it comes from the Greek psalmoi. And it literally just means a song of praise. When, when you look at the Hebrew word for psalm, though, it's tehelim, which the word helim is related to halal, which is where we get our word for hallelujah. That means praise be to God. You know, the, this word halal is actually really interesting as a Hebrew word. It means, a, it means a song of praise, but it can be translated a few different ways. It can be translated as to boast or to, to lift up. So we say we're praising God or we're boasting in God. We're talking about how awesome God is. When it's you and me, it's, it's boasting and bragging, which is sinful, but about God, we can't, we can't make a big enough deal, right? It also can be translated as to flash or to shine. I found that interesting. To praise God is like to, to shine or to make, a, to make a light shine on the goodness of God. Or here's another way it can be translated, this word halal, sometimes it's translated as to act foolish or insane. 
think about that. The Psalms are this, this, these songs of prayers and praise that make a big deal about God. Number two, the Psalms are actually not really a book. We say the book of Psalms, it really is more of a collection, a wide-ranging collection of songs that actually go about a thousand years apart from the first to the last ones that were written. The oldest psalm that we know of is written by Moses. And the last psalms were written all the way after the time that the people of Israel came back from the exile, about, about 500 years before Jesus was born. The, the psalms has the longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119. It's like 76 verses, very long. It also has the shortest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 117, just two psalms earlier, and it is literally two verses. So if you want to be like, I read an entire chapter of the Bible today, start there, Psalm 117. (laughs) It's very wide-ranging. Not only is it wide-ranging in in length, wide-ranging in the amount of time that it was collected over, it's very wide-ranging in that it was written by multiple authors. You've got David, good old King David, who best we can tell wrote about 75 of the Psalms. 73 of them are noted in the book of Psalms, two in the New Testament, they say when David wrote them. The next most prolific author is a guy named Asaph and his family. Then you've got the sons of Korah. That's like a musical family. It's like the Partridge family or something. Uh, You've got, that was a really old-fashioned reference, uh, Solomon, son of of David, wrote at least two. There's a guy named Ethan the Ezraite, like a total one-hit wonder. Wrote one psalm, and that's it. He's out. It's like the, the, you know, like one of those bands that write, you know, like I would walk 500 miles and you never hear from him again, right? (laughs) Another relative of his, Haman the Ezraite, but it was also featuring the sons of Korah, like a a hip-hop collaboration. Moses, as I mentioned, wrote one, and then Anonymous the ever-present Anonymous, wrote about 48 of the Psalms. We don't know who wrote them. We don't know who, where they came from. One of the Psalms, the Psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 113, is anonymous. It also spans not just multiple years, multiple genres, but, or multiple authors, but multiple genres. You know, there's different types of Psalms. Bef- before I put this, this next slide up, does anybody know what the most common genre in the Psalms is? The most common type of psalm, a psalm of? Okay, what'd you say? Praise. Praise again. Sorrow. Sorrow. Yeah, close. You look at my notes. Lament. They call them psalms of lament. Yes. The number one most popular type of psalm is emo. Okay? There, that's, that's, that's dumb. Okay, but, but hear me, like, genuine, like, weeping and sorrow There's communal psalms of lament, like we are suffering together, we are broken, we are oppressed, we need help. There's individual psalms of lament where it's, God, I am sorrowful before you, I'm broken before you. And then, do you guys know about these imprecatory psalms? Have you heard about these? These are the psalms where it's like, hey God, my enemy stabbed me in the back, could you please kill him and make it really painful? And you're like, is that supposed to be in the Bible? Like, did they hear what I was praying before too? Because I've said things like that. There's these Psalms that like you read them and it's it's like, God, I am, I'm really mad at this person. Would you bring judgment upon them? 
It's in the Bible. Think about that. Psalms of thanksgiving. These are most often related to praising God for specific circumstances. God, I thank you for your provision. I thank you that we won this battle. I thank you that you provided grain. I thank you that the rains have come for our crops to grow. I thank you for some sort of circumstance that that is praiseworthy. Then there's psalms of praise, which are more focused on the character of God. God, you are amazing. You are holy. You are powerful. You are more than I can comprehend. Then there's psalms of what we could call um, salvation history. They really tell a story. They recount the story of God's people, particularly uh, the Exodus. How many of you here, be honest, don't be ashamed, how many of you like country music, right? Okay, but like real country music, not the like faux bro country stuff that's masquerading, like dudes in bedazzled jeans singing about pickup trucks. Like we're talking like real country music where they would tell a story, right? Like Johnny Cash or, or yeah, thank you, St. Johnny, uh, <laughs> that's the other bobblehead I've got in my shopping cart to order. Certain uh, types of music will tell a story and kind of pull you in and communicate through, through storytelling. There's psalms like that. There's also psalms of public celebration. A lot of them had to do with getting a new king. A covenant renewal. Let's all gather together and renew our, our vows to the Lord. Or let's, let's celebrate the king publicly. Or we got a new king. Let's do an enthronement ceremony. And there's these psalms that were sung at those times. And in fact, there's one group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, where every year when the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate on the Day of Atonement, and they would walk up the hill, going up to the mountain of the Lord to praise him, they would sing these Psalms of Ascent. There's a whole group of them right near the end of the collection. And then lastly, there are psalms of just wisdom. Wisdom and instruction for living. If you were to read them, they almost sound more like the Proverbs, right? We have songs like this. We sing them to our children, okay? How many of you parents know this number one hit number, right? Clean up, clean up, everybody do your shit, right? Like, that is a, thank you, right? Yeah. That is a psalm, uh, well, it's it's not a psalm, it's a song of instruction, right? There's certain psalms like that, that they're sung to teach us how to live wisely, With all these different authors, with all these different years, with all these different genres, it can be a little bit hard to know how to read or how to understand the Psalms. Let me give you one important tip from uh, two authors, Fee and Stewart. They wrote this book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And they share this one, I think one really, really helpful tip. It's this. Psalms are to be treated as wholes not atomized into single verses or thought of as so often happens with the Proverbs, like so many pearls on a string, each to be enjoyed for its own sake apart from its relationship to the whole. Now, as you read a given psalm, learn to follow its flow and balance. Each psalm has a pattern of development by which its ideas are presented, developed, and brought to some kind of conclusion. I, uh, the other day, I was driving my 13-year-old to a thing, And she said, Dad, can I be the DJ? And I said, yes, not knowing what I was in for. That 15-minute car ride, we listened to samples of probably 25 to 30 different songs. 
I know. And she was in the first service and she was grinning from ear to ear and said, I'm going to do it again next time I get the DJ. She just, you know, we'd start a song and she'd skip ahead to the next one. And she'd start a song and she'd skip ahead to the next one. Is there any, be honest, is there anybody here that does that? A little musical ADD? All right, a few, yeah, blend. Sometimes we treat the Psalms that way. Just getting a little bit in, skip ahead. Get a little bit in, skip ahead. What these authors are encouraging us to do, what I'm encouraging you to do is as we dig into these Psalms over the next few weeks and months, to really try to digest them as an entire song, as an entire prayer, to really think about it, what it's saying, what it's communicating, what you should feel, how you might respond. So we started with this question, why do we need the Psalms? Why do we need the Psalms? Why has this been such an important part of the history of the people of God since the beginning? Well, Here's a few reasons. I mentioned earlier we like truth and theology and doctrine. Well, congratulations. We've got that in there. The first reason why we need the Psalms is theology. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6 of our psalm that we're looking at today. It says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? Right there, we just learned something about God. He's high and he's lifted up. He's great. He's powerful. He's majestic. When you learn something about God, that's called theology. I read through the Psalms over the winter, and it's amazing to me how much that we understand and know about God and his character and what he's like and things like his eternality. It all comes right out of the Psalms. And so for those of you who like to underline or like to do things like that, take notes or journal, here's something to try. Maybe get a few different colors of highlighters. And as you read through the Bible, anytime you see something in one of these Psalms about what God is like, his character, pick one color and just stick with that as you go through. Because you're going to learn about God. You're going to learn about what he's like. The Psalms are full of theology. But we don't just stay there. We don't just stay. Like, that's some fascinating, interesting truth about God. No, we, we're moved to worship. One through three, the verses that we started with, says, praise the Lord. What, what, what tense is that? It's an imperative sentence. Praise the Lord. Who? You servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, I, I, have, a, I have a response. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Friends, I love to gather together with you and sing. In, 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 a, in a former life, I was a music teacher and I was a, a worship pastor and every once in a while, they'll still let me grab a guitar around here and, and, and I love to sing and I love to, to worship, but our worship of God is not just confined to our time of singing. The, it says from the, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So in a few minutes from now, when we celebrate the Lord's table, that is worship. When we lift our voices and lift our hands and we sing, that's worship. But when you get in your car and drive home and that person cuts you off, how you respond to them can also be worship to God. When you interact with your coworkers or your neighbors or your roommate or your spouse, you have an opportunity to worship God in everything that you do. And the Psalms teach us how to do that. 
The Psalms teach us by, by showing us, by modeling for us, what does it mean to not just worship God with singing, but to worship God with my entire life. But it includes public worship. Tim Keller says this, he says, the Psalms were the divinely inspired hymn book for the public worship of God in ancient Israel. Because psalms were not simply read but sung, they penetrated the minds and imaginations of the people as only music can do. They so saturated the heart and imagination of the average person that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, it was only naturally that they spontaneously greet him by reciting a line from the psalm. We haven't got there yet in the Gospel of John. When we pick back up John in the fall, we're going to see Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the people just start singing the psalms. It's just what they did. All theologians and leaders of the church have believed that the Psalms should be used and reused in every Christian's daily private approach to God and in public worship, but we are not simply to read the Psalms, we are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God, which leads me to the third reason why we need the Psalms, prayer. Prayer. We learn about who God is, we respond to him in worship, but we go to him in prayer. Did you notice, you might not have noticed, this one's a little bit of a a hidden, remember how I talked about the Bible last week being like Wikipedia? The Bible is not like Wikipedia in that every word is true, but the Bible is like Wikipedia in that you click and it always like leads you around to all these different links that so many lines in the New Testament come from the Old Testament. So many lines in the Old Testament come from other places in the Old Testament. And we had one here in verses 7 through 9. It says, He lifts the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ashes to make them sit with princes, the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Our psalm that we're reading here today borrows from a prayer in 1 Samuel that was prayed by a woman named Hannah. Hannah went to the tabernacle. She was barren. She wanted to have a child. And she was so overcome with grief and so distraught. And she was praying so earnestly and so hard that the priest walked up and said, "Are you? excuse me, ma'am, are you drunk? She says, no, I'm brokenhearted. I'm pleading before the Lord to give me a child. They prayed together. The Lord answered her prayer. And Hannah gave birth to the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel is the one who anointed King David and set him up as a king. He was like the last judge of Israel. I mean, big, important figure. This psalm quotes that prayer that she prays. I think some of us struggle to know how to pray. And God's given us the Psalms to teach us, to instruct us, to show us what other people have prayed. I was talking with somebody after the first service and they said, man, it was a real breakthrough when I realized that God already knows what I'm thinking. So I might as well just say it out loud and be honest. And when you read the Psalms, there's some things in there that are like, are we, al- are we allowed to say that out loud? And the answer is Yes. God already knows what's in your heart before you even say it. He's not shocked or surprised. You might be. If I heard, I might be. But he's not. And so God says, come to me. 
with your prayers. Come to me with your petitions, your weaknesses, your hurts, your sorrows. Come to me. Just by the way, is it, does that not amaze anyone that the God who hung the stars in the heavens, the God who filled the oceans with all those beautiful tropical fish, that that God says you can come and pour out your heart to me. You can come talk to me. Real, real life, real talk. Is that amazing to you? I think it should be more amazing to all of us that we're invited to come to him that way. But we can come with all the, the good, the bad. It leads me to the fourth point is, is the Psalms teach us how to have emotions. Something happened in the history of Western Enlightenment thought, particularly in the age of reason, in the age of science. I like reason. I like science. But they overstated their case when they said that humanity is at its best when we shut off our emotions and only think with reason and logic. Now, I grew up in the church, and I, I would hear things you know, said from preachers, things that I agree with, things that I would probably even still say to this day, like, hey, you don't want to be led by your emotions. How many of you know that your emotions can be manipulated? Okay, I've used the analogy before, but have you ever cried at a movie? Fake, like it's not real, right? Ryan Gosling does not really care about that situation or whatever's happening, and you're sitting there weeping like a baby, that's not real, okay? But... You have emotions for a reason. God is described throughout the pages of the scripture as rejoicing over his people, full of love, full of compassion, full of anger over the brokenness and injustice of the world. God is not some dispassionate, disconnected, aloof, uh, age of reason philosopher sitting up there telling us all these philosophies to believe. There is truth. We do need to be on guard against emotionalism. And the, the, the Psalms teach us how to properly emote before God. How to use our emotions to be more fully alive, to be more fully human. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. Amen? And there's a tension there. It's hard. Some of you tend more towards the heart side of things. Some of you tend more towards the the mind side of things. But God wants all of who you are to be caught up in worship of him and prayer with him. And then the last and most important reason why we need the Psalms is they point us to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. Now, maybe you were reading the psalm and you thought, wait, wait a minute, where's Jesus in the psalm? By the way, wasn't this psalm written like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born? Yeah, but let me, let me, show, you, let me show you a trick. Watch this. Verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, and who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Oh, okay, so God is high and lifted up, but he enters into the dust of the earth to raise us up with him. Why does that sound so familiar? It's the gospel, friends. It's the gospel there in seed form that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ took on flesh, We're made out of the dust of the earth. 
that he suffered, that he, he, he endured everything that we endured and, and, and went through to raise us up with princes, that we've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Is that amazing? As you look at Jesus and the Psalms, Jesus most often quoted the Psalms. Jesus quoted the Hebrew scriptures all the time. The number one book that he quoted was the Psalms. He quoted Exodus seven times, Isaiah eight times, Deuteronomy 10 times, but the Psalms 11 times. That's the, that's the number one book that when Jesus was pressed about things or questioned about things, in fact, the passage we just looked at in, in John last week, he went right to the Psalms. Jesus, number two, said that the Psalms were all about him. In Luke 24, he says, I, I, I told you all these things while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. How many of you would like to be at a Bible study led by Jesus where he explained how the entire Hebrew Bible was all about him? That sounds awesome. Also long, but awesome. But number three, we can see the gospel in the Psalms. Let me show you what I mean. When Jesus is born, you, you, you find the very, very first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and it says, Jesus Christ, son of Joseph and Mary, the son of David. That, that Jesus is a descendant of King David and that God had given a promise to King David that one of his sons would always be the ruler over God's people. So we can see in Psalm 132 that promise. God says to David, you're, you're always going to have one of your descendants ruling and reigning over God's people. The temptation of Jesus. When Jesus is in the desert being tempted by Satan, do you know what Satan says to him? Satan comes up and says, you know, he, he tempts him to turn uh, uh, stones into bread and then Satan tempts him to jump off of the high place. And what does Satan say? He says, don't worry, he'll, he'll command his angels and you won't even, you know, dash your foot against a rock. You'll be totally safe. That Satan quoted the Psalms at Jesus. And Jesus responded back with other words of scripture that says, you know, put the Lord your God to the test. But the temptation of Jesus is seen in the Psalms. The teaching that Jesus would go out. Jesus would go out and he would teach and he would instruct about the kingdom of God. In, in Mark 12, there's a part where he's talking about how he can be the Messiah and how the Messiah can be God. And he quotes from Psalm 110 where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And people are like, how can the Lord sit at the Lord's right hand? And how can you claim to be God, but you're also a man? And Jesus taught from the Psalms. When Jesus was rejected by his own people, the Jewish people, his kinsmen. He said, you know, uh, the stone that these builders rejected, they don't want to use this stone to build a house. Well, now it's become the cornerstone, the most important stone. He's quoting from the Psalms that he would be rejected by his own people when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. It's from Psalm 41.9. It says, my close friend who ate my bread lifted up his hand against me. That Jesus was betrayed by one of his 12 disciples and that we can see in the Psalms. That Jesus suffered. The soldiers did things like, like divide the garments among themselves. They cast lots. They rolled dice for his clothes. His suffering was talked about in the Psalms when it says in Psalm twenty two eighteen 18 that they divided my garments among them. 
even the crucifixion, not just his suffering and his torment, but the crucifixion itself is spoken about in the Psalms. Because in Psalm 22, it says they have pierced my hands and my feet. And that was written before crucifixion had even been invented yet. And not just his crucifixion, but that he was forsaken by God. God took all of our sin and placed it on Jesus. That, that God the Father turned his back on the Son so that we would never have to experience God turning his back on us. And Jesus cried out, you remember what he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he's crying that out, that comes from the Psalms. And when Jesus died and he gave up his breath, he cried out with a loud voice and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 35. The, the death of Jesus, his very last words that he breathed out were words from the Psalms. And then something remarkable happens, something that nobody expect. They go to check the tomb on the third day. Oh no. Where's Jesus? Angels said, oh, he got good news. He's, he's totally alive again, back from the dead, risen forevermore, conquered over death. And you know what? You should have seen it coming. Because in Psalm 16, it says that God will not let his Holy One see decay. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up and gives maybe the greatest sermon ever given in the history of the church, he quotes that psalm and says, guess what? We don't serve a dead religious founder or a dead rabbi. We serve and follow a living and resurrected Savior. It was written about in the psalm centuries before Jesus ever died and rose again. Isn't that amazing? Like this entire narrative of the gospel, the entire shape of the gospel, we can see through the Psalms. And so for you today, being here, looking at these words, listening to these words, I want to say to you what I said earlier, but I want to say it to you more personally. It's not just that we can connect with our transcendent God through the Psalms, but I believe that God desires to connect with you through the Psalms. That we do not have a God who's far off and distant, who's made himself uh, uh, aloof and hard to get to, but that we have a God that has literally entered into the worst of the mess of humanity and has come close to us in and through the person of Jesus. And as we read these psalms, as we sing these songs, we're brought near to him. How many of you want that? to experience him more in your life? How many of you, let me ask this question, you don't have to raise your hand, but like, how many of you that actually scares a little bit? When, when, when your experience of God and your relationship with God is just truths and propositions and, and doctrine and theology, you can, that's safe. But what if God wanted to start messing with your heart? What if God made you cry what if you what if you what if you started praying and you like lost track of time what if god started speaking to your heart words of truth that come from the psalms about that person who hurt you and about that person who wounded you and yet that god has come close to you and forgiven you when you hurt and wounded him what if god wanted to start like what if god wanted to start messing with you
It's terrifying, isn't it? Oh, that's fine. I want to do a lot of service projects. I want to get out. I'm going to go serve the poor. I'm going to go feed the hungry. That's all great and all good. But what if God wanted to mess with your heart a little bit? Maybe you don't know how to get started on that. I printed this up in our discussion questions and our prayer points for the week, but I'll, I'll just share with you one of, these, one of these prayer points that you can actually pray through the Psalms. And so I would invite you this week to just try praying through Psalm 113. Let me just, just I'll, I'll demonstrate a little bit, okay? Praise the Lord. God, I, I want to praise you. Praise, O oh servants of the Lord. Thank you, God, that I, I'm your servant. Thank you, God, that I'm your son. Thank you, God, that I can come to you to praise you like this. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. God, I want your name and your reputation, who you are, to be blessed. From the rising of the sun to its setting, from the, the name of the Lord is to be praised. God, would you help me to praise you from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed at night. Do you see how you can do that? You can pray the Psalms. Let them guide you. Let them shape you as you draw near to God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, God desires to connect with you. Some of you have maybe heard a message or heard a gospel that is no gospel that you have to get yourself good enough before you can come to God. And I'm here today to tell you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of the scriptures, that God has already come to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he's offered you connection with him, relationship with him, an experience of the transcendent that doesn't fade away. I invite you to come today. We're going to respond here in a moment, and we're going to respond a little bit differently than we usually do. And then you, you, some of you are like, ah, oh, I knew it. I knew it, Aaron. Doggone it. Why you got to be changing things? Because I love you. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. The Lord's table is for Christians. If you're with us today, even if you're a guest or a visitor, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're welcome to join us at the table. And, and most every week, we read a communion passage from 1 Corinthians 11 to kind of set the stage for what we're going to do. So I'm going to read a different passage today. I'm going to invite our musicians to come forward if they would. I'm also going to invite our younger students class to come in and join us for this time. But I want to, I want to share something with you that I learned that is, I think is, I think you're going to like this, okay? When Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, this is where we get the practice of the Last Supper, they gathered together to celebrate the Passover meal, and it says in the Gospels, they ate together, they, they drank together, Jesus instituted the Lord's table, and then it says, they sang a hymn, and then they left and they went to the Mount of Olives, where the soldiers came, arrested him, etc. And it got me thinking, what was that hymn? What did Jesus sing on the night before his crucifixion? Did a little bit of digging, did a little bit of study. Come to find out, there is a section of the Psalms that is called the halal. And Jewish people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years on the night when they celebrate the Passover, they sing this group of about five or six psalms. Do you know what the first one is? Psalm 113. 
the one we just read today. And so I'm going to put the words of this up on the screen. I'm going to read this psalm, and I'm going to ask you to allow God, maybe in a moment of, how do we call it, like sanctified imagination, that you're sitting with Jesus, that you are with the disciples. Jesus is going to the cross where his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be spilled out for us. And do you know what Jesus starts singing? Psalm 113. We, the, the musicians um, prepared a song. It's new for us. I don't think any, many of you or any of you really know it. And it's from Psalm 113. So I'm going to invite you to do this. I'm going to invite you just to hold these elements and I'm going to invite you to remain seated. I'm going to, I'm going to read these, this psalm and they're going to sing. And I'm just going to invite you to sit. You can close your eyes. You can pray. You can kneel down if you want to. But I want to invite you to connect with Jesus who sang this psalm on the night of his betrayal. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Christ Jesus, we come to you now. As we prepare to to eat of this bread, we're reminded of your body that was broken for us your body broken in our place because of our sins. As we prepare to drink of the cup, Christ, we are mindful of your blood that was spilled that we might be cleansed and purified. And as we sing and as we reflect on these words, this this psalm, Jesus, that you sang on the night of your betrayal, I pray that we would experience you. I pray that we would experience you in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives in a deeper way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.